Hey kiddos, welcome to Dad Feelings, a podcast about fictional father figures and real life dads with real feelings. This episode is going to be a little different in that I feel like on this show we usually talk about pop cultural dads, you know, like we talk about your um, your Homer Simpsons, which we have not talked about yet because it's sort of a big one that we're working up to, I guess. But we talk about, you know, your your dads in films and in in television shows. And um, I want to talk about something a little bit different this week, um, which is a book that I recently read by my friend Sarah Shulman. Uh, and the book is called Rat Bohemia. And uh, this is a book that was written in the 90s. I believe it was published in 1995. And um, it is like a really compelling book. Um, It's like one of my favorite books I've read in a long time. Um, And I want to talk about the ways that fatherhood is talked about in that book. So I guess just some backstory on on the um, the narrative. Uh, This is it's basically uh, set in New York in the uh, early 90s, maybe late 80s. Um, I forget if it's really made clear but in that kind of period and it's um it's a book about uh queer people it's a book about the um the AIDS crisis um and it's a book about families in a lot of ways too so um it's about three characters it sort of switches perspectives between these three different characters um I I guess arguably the main character is named Rita Mae Weems and she is uh, this queer woman from Queens and is a rat exterminator for the Department of Health. And so her whole kind of perspective is um, is partly about uh, she's kind of obsessed with rats and how they like manage to survive um, despite all of these things that people throw at them, like all of these new ways that people come up with to exterminate them, they manage to kind of survive. Um, and her narrative is kind of about being this sort of like kind of bohemian, right? Um, so there's a, a part early on in the book where she asks uh, her friend Killer, who is another one of the main characters, like, you know, what the fuck are we doing? Like, what what are we doing with our lives? Um, yeah, I think about this all the time and I can't figure out what category I'm in. Um and Killer's just like, what do you mean category? And she's like, well, I don't have any money, but I'm not really poor. Um, and I have aspirations, but like not career aspirations. And, you know, when I turn on the TV, I don't like recognize myself. Like, what are we doing? And Killer just says like, we're bohemians. Like, we don't have those dominant cultural values. Um, and she's like, yeah, do, like, do you know what a bohemian is? And she's like, yeah, of course. It's people who go to foreign movies. <laughs> um, and so like, God. Also, um, I guess one thing I want to say about this book too is like, if you've never read a book like this, but you've seen Rent, um, I would really recommend you like read this book or read some of Sarah Shulman's other books because, um, so Rent was actually uh, partly stolen from her work um, and kind of sanitized and the focus was shifted off of these queer characters onto these straight men characters um, 
in the form of uh, Mark, I guess is the main, I think he's the main straight guy in Rent. Uh, yeah, Mark. And then Roger is like the, the other sort of straight man who has HIV. Um, so yeah, this book is like kind of a portrait of the same kind of time period, but it's not about straight people. It's like about HIV and queerness, but in ways that are rooted in reality and not in sort of like romanticized allegories to, uh, La Boheme, the musical, uh, or the opera, um, so yeah, I would say like, you know, I'm just going to pepper this, this episode with just recommendations to read this book because it's a really good book. But anyway, so, um, Rita and Killer, um, and this other character, David, are sort of just these kind of bohemian figures who like, you know, they're queer and they're on the margins of society. And this is the late eighties, early nineties, um, which like is a kind of a long time ago in a lot of ways. And, um, they're, you know, not operating in the same kind of cultural context that, that, you know, queer weirdos are today, right? And a large part of that is the way that the book talks about family and specifically talks about fathers. So um, Rita's mother uh, has passed away like some time ago. She talks about her father a lot. Um, so she talks about like early on in the book how, um, when she was a girl, like she and her father were always fighting. Um, and like, he would tell her to get out and never come back or like call the cops on her. Um, and there's, uh, there's like this, this thing that happens, you know, when she's like a teen where she falls in love with this other girl who is also like in love with her and, um, her father, uh, finds them in bed and basically kicks her out and uh and she goes and like tries to stay with like this girl's family um and at first they're like oh like like really sympathetic and then her father calls them and like tells them what happened and they are just so cold to her and like basically she uh, is forced to like live on the street and kind of just like uh, you know, make things work just by like finding odd jobs and like, yeah, like sleeping rough and um, yeah, is thrown out for like for being a lesbian um, and is just like totally, you know, cut off from her family. And like, I think that's a big theme of this book is is familial homophobia um, in ways that I feel like contemporary media sometimes address but like um i don't know like don't really get at the core of like how brutal that can be sometimes when it's like not just disapproving but like cutting off from material support right like if your parent physically kicks you out of their house and like forces you to live on the street like that's a really brutal kind of relationship right um and so you know, the book is sought sometime after that. So like Rita is like an adult and basically has this job exterminating rats and is trying to just sort of navigate um, her, her life as a bohemian weirdo adult um, in New York. And there's another character uh, 
named David, who is sort of the the character whose who's, uh, viewpoint is portrayed in the, the second third of the book. Um, and, or maybe third quarter, I forget. Um, but, so David is a gay man um, who is HIV positive, and um, he also has sort of been disowned by his parents, um, and his whole thing is that he is like... Um, he is sort of this like novelist figure who is like trying to make it in um in literature and um his parents are just like totally uninterested in him but like beyond that there's this dynamic where his parents resent him um his parents believe that he is choosing to be gay um to spite them um or to like you know, have this pain that he can hold over them, um, which is, like, a really, like, awful way of looking at things, but is, like, a very real way that I think a lot of of parents, you know, react to this stuff. Um, So a big theme of, of David's narrative is the ways that families treat men who are dying of HIV uh, related complications. And um, basically like David is caring for, for his partner um, Don for a large part of the book. And then uh, Don dies and um, then his family finally shows up and um, there's this like erasure of the sort of like circumstances of his life and death. And um, this actually happens to, David um as well when when he he dies um his like they have this funeral and um and his father shows up at the end and like everyone there is kind of like shocked and upset and um he gives this speech and it's like just like the worst fucking thing um he he gets up like after like you know people have just like all of the basically like the the narrative here is like you know people are dying all of the time um it's the plague era people are just like constantly dying and um so there's this weariness at this funeral where like you know people are obviously upset and grieving and at the same time, people's like capacity for grief is being taxed to its limits because their friends and lovers are like dying constantly. Um, and then David's father shows up and he's this like graying lawyer in his mid sixties, like upper middle class and wearing this suit and like the only person at the funeral wearing formal dress. And he shows up and, um, and he's just like really like bewildered that like his son had all these like relationships and friends and he gets up and he gives this speech and he says, my son, David Gabriel Berman was born on February 22nd, 1958, George Washington's birthday. We promised him all his life. His birthday would be celebrated as a national holiday, but then they changed the law and George Washington's birthday was no longer celebrated on February 22nd. David accepted this without complaint, just as he later accepted having AIDS without complaint. David graduated magna cum laude, Phi Beta Kappa from Columbia University, and lived for a year in Portugal and for a year in Rome, Italy. I'm sorry and will always be sorry that David is no longer with us. So long, Dave. And like, 
the audience is just like shocked and like by this this sort of speech that just like erases the fact that he was gay that just like totally evacuates any responsibility from the family who basically like disowned him and the way that that Rita talks about it is saying like you know there's rarely any parents around when these kinds of things happen and like when they do appear we're suddenly deprived of our collective adulthood like we know that they're against us um and we know like we we take it personally because we know that most of our families would do the same thing um and she says the most common link between all gay people is that at some time in our lives often extended our families have treated us shabbily because of our homosexuality. They punish us, but we did not do anything wrong. We tell each other about this all the time, but never tell the big world. It is the one secret not for public consumption. We'll stand up proudly on television in slave colors and penis text, but we will never speak out publicly about what our families have done to us. It is too true. Uh, so Rita runs into David's dad later on. And... um. She recognizes him and starts talking about him. We're talking to him. And um, and she's, like, just thinking, like, oh, like, this guy is, like, so, you know, well-dressed and calm and educated. Like, he's not some stupid slob like my dad. He's, like, kind of genteel. You know, he wears a suit. Um, and is just, like, oh, I'm already like burying David and like dismissing him and discrediting him in the face of like this apparently really like, you know, gentle, well-educated man, um, like this upper class superior kind of being um, like, why couldn't David have done better with them? Maybe I, maybe he can be my dad. Like maybe this is my reward for outliving him. Like I'm living in the post David era. Maybe I can convince his father to like, to be my father. Um, and then I would have a father and I could be a daughter. And there's this really heartbreaking line where she says, was this the hidden purpose of AIDS to give the rest of us a chance to have parents? That was the first explanation I'd come across that could make sense. Maybe these hateful parents would regret the way they abandoned their gay children and would come to other abandoned gay children and love us instead. That way, at least one of us would have love. So she gets into this like really intense conversation with David's father and sort of asks him like, you know, is, is asking him about his childhood and like how he came to live in New York. And basically he's like, you know, a child of, of immigrants, um, of like Russian immigrants and like, um, they, they, they couldn't even like read English and he gets this education. Um, his sister like gets admitted to New York law school, but doesn't end up going. He like, you know, gets in a city college on the GI Bill um, and then goes to law school and um, and gets married and talks about, you know, the difficulties he's had, like, um, as a Jew, like, in the 30s and um, just, like, going to law school, working, you know, being basically surrounded by Christians. Um, and she's just like, oh, like, tell me, daddy, tell me your dreams. And when you're done, please ask me about mine. Um, and he... He like he describes this like this scene where he's like imagining his future and like imagining his family and he's like, oh, I'm thinking about, you know, I'm you know I was I was imagining having the son David that I would name after my grandfather and he would go to law school and like, you know, unlike me, he would already know the ropes when he got there. He would have the advantages that all those Christian boys had, um, and uh, 
he describes this really creepy scene where he's like, I imagine that my wife and I were older, about the age we were 10 years ago. My wife and I are attending the theater accompanied by our son, Broadway. My son and I approach a waiting taxi cab from either side of the car, dapper and fit in crisp tuxedos and tails, you know, like Fred Astaire. I'm older than he is, grayer, more elegant, and in excellent physical condition. He is impetuous, laughing, handsome. We open the doors simultaneously as our ladies step in before us. His mother, contented, elegant. His wife, flirtatious and witty. We glance at each other over the top of the cab before stepping in. Two halves of one person. Our unity and similarity are indescribable, unspoken, and thoroughly understood. But you see, my dream will never be realized because my son took it away from me the day he decided to be a homosexual. And so Rita is kind of just like reeling, like having this experience that she's never meant to have. Um, and it's just like, what did you lose? Like, what did David take away from you? And he says, normalcy. And he sort of talks about how like he had strange parents and, um, and he was like the first one in his entire family to be appropriate. He's like, what's so awful about being appropriate or making something of yourself? David had to be a big shot. He had to be oppositional and look where it got him. Uh, it's bad enough that he had to be homosexual, that he had to do that to me. But then he had to write about it so everyone in the world would know our family was not normal. My son went to Columbia University and he spent his life writing pornography. And uh, he's just like, he resents um, his son so much. But like, and then he also tries to position himself as like reasonable. Um, he describes this event where like his son you know, comes into his office and is like, in his words, demanding to know why I wasn't ecstatic that he was homosexual. And he's like, what did you want? Like, some parents don't even let their children into the house. I always let you into the house. I wasn't the worst. And Rita says like, but dad, what about love? And he says, listen, I love my son. I've always loved my son. I've always been there for him. Anytime he ever needed anything, he always knew he could count on me, which is like completely insane <laughs> and like completely not the reality at all. And like, so what a lot of this book is about is like the ways that the families position themselves as wronged, I think, by um, by queer children and then by children who like, you know, have HIV and like position themselves as suffering. And there's like one point where... Um, David is talking about a family dinner that he's having and uh, you know, his sister is sad because like one of her 70 year old law school professors died or something. And his, his mom's like, Oh, I think, you know, more dead people than anyone I know. And he's just like, is sort of like, you know, gopping. And she's like, Oh, the HIV thing. You always want to have that over everyone, which is like, Oh my God. But it's so like true, right? The ways that families um, like see that can see their queer children's pain as like attempts to discredit them or like to to hurt them when all of those kids are asking for is like is support um and like especially like fathers the ways that like you know david's father resents him for not being normal and for depriving him of this picture of like heterosexual futurity of like having a son who is basically like an improvement of him who is like you know he's giving him the things that he never had and like giving him access to all of these um, these places and 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 things that uh, that he had to really fight for, um, and David has deprived his father of those things by choosing to be a homosexual, um, to the point where his father is like, and look where it got him, 
um, and Rita isn't sure if he he means like dead or in hell. Uh, it's like really intense, um, and like you know, at the same time, it's not easy for for these characters to just sort of decide like, oh well, you don't want me. Well, great because I have my own like chosen family. Like because families have material support right and and also like love which is like actually kind of important to a lot of people um and so when people are cut off from their families um they are losing out on all that stuff like on all of this generational support um all of like yeah not just material support but like you know affection and and stuff that um certainly chosen families um can replace but you know, often when those chosen families are made up of people who are also like destitute, uh, is kind of, is kind of rough. Right. Um, so yeah, I guess I was just kind of like really fascinated by the way that this book like depicts these characters who are like bohemians and sort of like when, when parents show up, they're sort of like lost children almost like kind of like lost boys. Um, because they, by having been cut off from their families and from their fathers, especially they've become like, um, well, they're like sort of seeking that stuff in, in other places. Um, like when Rita kind of tries, like almost tries to convince David's father to like, to get on board and to like, you know, be, be a good person. And then to like be her dad, like that's, that was so intense and powerful. Um, and um, a lot of Rita's narrative is about fathers. Um, there is a part right after David's funeral where she says that fathers are America's greatest disappointment. Very few of them seem to have done their job, but the ones who came through are so loved. They are adored. The ones who took the time to listen, to ask you questions about yourself, to be happy for you, to actively care. Um, and she still seems to like entertain this possibility that, you know, just as she's grown and changed and learned new things over time that maybe her father has as well. Um, and so she keeps trying, you know, every few years to like, to call him and talk to him and see if he believes that she's worth loving. Um, and at the same time, she's surrounded by death, right? So like, she's so used to it. She's sort of this like survivor character who sees all of um, her gay male friends like die one after another. And so she has kind of become a nerd to death. Um, and her father is getting really old. And so she's like, I have no problem knowing that my father will die. Like I know that's going to happen. Um, but the trouble is that as long as he's still alive, you know, every second, every day, he has the chance to change the way that he views me. Um, and so every time he refuses, it's this really intense, painful thing. Um, and she's just like totally devastated um, because she doesn't want her father to die with her knowing that he had the chance to like, to be decent to her and like, he didn't take it. Um, so there are like times where she'll call him and he's just like kind of disappointed uh, when, when he realizes it's her um, and just, they just have these like very basic conversations um, and like, she has these siblings and uh you know, like they're always like her, her brother Howie is always like spending time with, uh, with, with her dad. And, uh, there's one incident where she calls and like, he's there and, and, um, 
her dad just like immediately puts her on with her brother. Like he doesn't want to talk to her. And she says that she always keeps trying and always gets destroyed by the father-son bond. What did Howie do to deserve it? Like he is, um, you know, he's no better than her. And like, she has a lot more of an interesting life and she's been through more because she was kicked out. And so she knows a lot more about living. Um, and she talks about like the, the brothers and sisters of homosexuals and says they love that special treatment. They love to take advantage of it. You know, they love these special rights and privileges. They know parental booty is a limited thing. There's just so much money, attention, love, and time to go around. Why split it with your queer siblings if you don't have to? Why give up the one thing that makes a regular schmuck like Howie into something special, his normalcy? That's why we'll never get rid of homophobia in this country. The brothers and sisters of homosexuals have too much at stake, <laughs> which is like so intense. Um, and just like another kind of dynamic of like familial homophobia that this book really acutely describes. So I think that might actually do it for this episode. <laughs> um, basically like, yeah, this, it's a really difficult book um, in the ways that it is like really real and just like really gets at just the reality of like what being queer and sort of like on the margins of, of society was like um, in the eighties and nineties um, and um, really gets at like, you know, the mechanics through which families uh, transmit homophobia um, and especially fathers um, just because they are such like a, a central part of the book with Rita's father kicking her out and David's father kind of disowning him. And then Rita sort of trying to like, you know, reenlist David's father as her own briefly. Um, it's again, yeah, kind of a, a, an intense book in those ways. Um, but I, I just like completely recommend it um, to anyone interested in in that kind of stuff um because yeah it's very well written it is actually very funny at a lot of parts um darkly funny but still and um yeah like i say if you if your only exposure to that sort of era is rent then i would really recommend reading this book um and some other books by sarah shulman too like people in trouble which i think is one of the books that was stolen for that musical so yeah, that, that'll do it for this episode of Dad Feelings. We are still doing Stay Mean Support Month all September. So if you haven't already, please go to staymean.vip and check out all of the ways that if you like, you can support us. And presumably if you're listening to this, uh, you like our shows. And uh, there are a bunch of ways you can support us for free, including filling out a listener survey, subscribing to our new tiny letter and rating and reviewing our shows on apple podcasts and um, if you do have some money kicking around and you do want to become a patron you can do that at stamine.co slash support um and if you pledge three dollars or more a month you do get access to bonus episodes which are uh are really fun um you know bonus episodes of this show and also of our other show woodland secrets um that we put out on a pretty regular basis and um, yeah, they're a lot of fun. And the only way you can get them is by uh, doing $3 or more a month on that Patreon. But also if you can only do a dollar, um, you know, some people say sometimes like, oh, I, I you know, I want to support you, but like I, I can only do a dollar a month. Um, that is still a big deal for us. Um, having tons of $1 a month pledges is always better um, for us than having, you know, one big say like a $10 one that like maybe someone won't be able to maintain for a long time. Um, having that really diverse base has been so important for us and we're so grateful for it. Um, so thank you all so much. Um, hope you've enjoyed this episode and 
and the rest of the episodes we've we've put up for support month so far and i will talk to you next week bye kiddos dad feelings is hosted by merrick k and produced and edited by me nick bravo dad feelings is a part of stay me the world's only podcast network we're entirely listener supported if you enjoy the show please consider becoming a patron of Say Me at dadfeelings.com slash support. Our theme music is Swell Content by Speedy Ortiz off their album Foiled Deer. Thanks to Car Park Records and Sadie Dupuis for letting us use it. Please mention us on Twitter. We're at dadfeelings and at staymeanco. Or rate and review us in iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening.